Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here, whether you're here in the room or you're joining us online at home or wherever you're at. We're super grateful that you're with us um, and uh, just excited about where we're headed today and over the next few weeks. Uh, today, what I wanna do is I, I wanna take a little bit of time and do my best to share something that I think is incredibly, incredibly important for, for us, for, for, for our church right now in this season, coming out of this crazy, crazy season. It's really important for us as a church. And I say for us as a church, whether you have been part of the church for, for years, I mean, this is Rock Point, your home, this is, this is what you call, I mean, church, this is your church. Or if you're brand new, you're just showing up today. I think it's important for us because, like I said, of what this last year has looked like. Because this, <laughs> this last year has been crazy for, for everyone in the world. It's been crazy. Uh, most people have been impacted in so many ways. Some people, someone actually told me it's been a, a pretty good year because of the things that happened in the year, but all of us have been affected. You know, the reason I wanna talk about us as a church is because try run a church uh, through a pandemic, <laughs> through a tornado hitting the building, it's, it's crazy. I mean, think about it, like for the first time in my history that I've watched and known and understood church, churches around the world had to shut down in-person services. That's crazy for us that lasted seven months. Try build momentum, try build community and build excitement and yay, let's do this thing when no one's allowed in the building. <laughs> it's crazy, it's hard. Um, and, and the repercussions of COVID and what's happened over this year are still affecting us. There are still people who feel like it's not wise to come back to what for them is the largest group of people inside a building that they see in their week. And I get that, I get that. I know some people who are currently caring for their older parents and they don't wanna take a risk that could severely impact their family. And so for us as a church, we're still impacted by some of these circumstances and I get it. I get it, it makes sense, it's just weird, it's just hard. And then it's not just COVID, I mean, I don't know if you remember, um, and if you're new to the area and you drive through the neighborhood coming to the building, you see all the buildings around you that are still, some of them in shambles because on Easter Sunday last year, a massive tornado tore this whole place apart. And that's just impacted the area, impacted the environment. And then it also hit our building to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of repairs. Repairs that are frustrating, repairs that any construction, if you've done construction or had construction done, doesn't it always take too long? And then it takes too long after that as well because it's like it's too long that you're gonna take to fix it and then it never goes according to plan either. It's just been so crazy. So not only were we not allowed to gather in our building, our building was broken and we couldn't gather. Interior walls were ripped apart. The roof was torn open. I don't know if you remember, there were moments when we were sitting in here and at the right time, if you're in the right service, a beam of light suddenly came in. It was like God was going, oh, I'm there. It was crazy. It was pretty cool. But hey, it was weird. But the roof, and then you hear birds tweeting in the auditorium. You're like, what is going on? It's hard to create the right environment and do the right things with that. Signs were blown down and there were some parts of the building that were structurally compromised. If you walk out the door and turn right, you'll see all the boards are still up because that whole tower entrance was moved by an inch. And you're going, let's build church. <laughs> let's build momentum. Let's gather to, oh, we can't. Um, let's figure out what we're gonna do. Let's cast vision. Ah, 
How do you do all that? It's really, and, and we don't have control over the, uh, the repair process because we actually lease this building and the owners have been doing their best to navigate insurance and skyrocketing um, construction costs and rain delays. The roof, it's crazy. The roof was supposed to be done in eight weeks. Anyone who's been here for longer than eight weeks probably snickered <laughs> because they can't get up there when it rains and in Chattanooga it's been raining. They can't get up there when it's been too cold because it's too dangerous. And so what should have taken eight weeks has taken months and months and months, which meant we couldn't paint walls because if you paint the walls and then the rain comes through the broken roof and keeps messing up the walls and you've got to redo and restart and it's just been frustrating. It's been a frustrating, frustrating year to try and figure out, and then you've got to actually handle and live through and do church with stained carpets and unpainted walls and messed up parking lots and holes in the roof and birds tweeting in the auditorium and sunbeams coming in. It's been hard, it's been weird to try and create momentum and build community and excitement during a pandemic and a tornado damaged building. It's been a hard year, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church, and if you call Rock Point your home, you know that, you have felt some of that frustration. Now, <clears throat> the reason I start with that, and the reason I talk about all the crazy hard things that have gone on is not to complain, but actually to tell you a story. Because here's the deal, experiences like this are not new. Experiences like this are not new. And, and I hope I can say this right, but experiences like this, when they happen, they actually provide us with the potential to remember why we do what we do. You see, when, when, when what we do gets shaken up by circumstances that we can't control, when what we do gets shaken up, remembering why we do it is so incredibly important. So today and over the next few weeks, I'm gonna do my best to just try and remind us why we do what we do. To remind you, if you've been a part of Rock Point for some time, to remind you, if, if you're newish, maybe I'll share this for the first time, but I wanna remind us why we do this. It's not just a building, it's not just church services, it's not just environments, there is a bigger picture and I wanna do my best to remind you. Um, I'm gonna do that by telling you the story that shows that Times like this, seasons like this, difficulty like this are not new. They're not new. Um, I wanna tell you a story, and it's amazing. It's an amazing true story of a season that happened in the history of Israel. You can go find this in the, in the Jewish history books that we have in our Old Testament, but you can find it outside of the Bible as well. These events happen, and th this event, in some small way, I don't wanna pretend that it totally mirrors it, but in some small way, I think it mirrors what we have experienced in the last year, because what they experienced kind of was similar, except way worse, because it didn't just happen for one year. It happened for over 70 years. You see, Jerusalem had been besieged and Jerusalem had been attacked and overthrown. And again, you can see this not just in our biblical history books, but outside of that, there's actually uh, um, archaeologists have found these little clay tablets 
that have cuneiform inscriptions on it. They're called the Babylonian Chronicles, and I believe you can find it in the British Museum today, and you, you see this, this history from the Babylonian perspective. We can read from the Israel, you know, the, the, the Jewish perspective in the Bible, but from the Babylonian perspective, you can read this stuff on these clay um, things, these clay tablets that have been found, and what you find is that around 600 BC, um, Babylon invaded and, and overthrew Jerusalem. And they, there was a siege and they couldn't get through the wall because back then every major city had walls to protect them. And so they were there for a long time and eventually they breached the wall and they got in and they destroyed the entire city. And they burned down the temple eventually and they dragged off all the inhabitants to some distant country as slaves. And so for 70 years, 70 odd years after the temple was destroyed, it wasn't just seven months that they couldn't walk into the temple. And it wasn't a tornado that destroyed it. And it wasn't a pandemic that kept them apart. There was a whole superpower in that ancient world that dragged them off. They couldn't be together. And they burned down the city and the temple and their homes and destroyed the wall that should have protected them. We just had a tornado. <laughs> And that was horrible for the people who lost homes. And it's been frustrating for us. But this isn't new. Things like this have happened. And for them, it took 70 years. So people, generations, people were born in captivity. People were born far away from home. But then after about 70 years, there was a change in the power in the region. And Persia came in and, and the Persian king said, hey guys, I know you're living here, but I know that you have a heart for Jerusalem. So he said, if you wanna go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the temple and start rebuilding what you had, I'm gonna let you go and I'll fund it. And if you're a history person, this, this first group of Israelites that went back was led by a guy named Zerubbabel in about 535 BC, around 70 years after all this stuff happened. And Zerubbabel went back and he was so excited to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And once again, construction back then was just as bad or probably worse than construction today. They didn't have those big machines that could pick things up and stuff. They kind of had to do it themselves. And so it took about 20 years of starting and stopping and frustrations and enemies and difficulties and hurdles and, and, and all the stuff. But about 20 years later, 515 BC, they rebuilt the temple. Imagine that. And they could step foot in the temple and they could come back into the temple, and they were super excited about that, but there was still unfinished business, and the reason there was unfinished business is because the wall around the city was still broken. It was still broken, and so there was no protection, and in that world, having no wall around your city meant that everything could fall apart in an instant, and you would be back to where everything was broken. And so about 70 years go by, with the temple there and no walls. And this is where we bump into a guy named Nehemiah. And in about 444 BC, Nehemiah is living in the capital city of Persia named Susa in modern day Iran. And he's living there and he's got a fantastic job. This is 140 years after the Jews were taken out of their nation, out of Jerusalem and taken as captives. And he's sitting there with a great job. He's actually, we find out later, he's a high official to the king 
of the superpower. He's a cupbearer to the king and he's got all the money he needs, all the comfort he needs, all the stuff he needs. He's got all the notoriety he needs. Everything's great for him, but there's something in his heart that says, this is not what I am supposed to do. It's not just about my comfort. It's not just about what I do. There is something bigger. And, and we find that out because his brother comes and visits him from Judah and gives him a report of what's happening in Jerusalem. We find out in Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, what Nehemiah said. And it's just crazy to me that we can actually read stuff that was written like 450 years before Christ and what was written actually relates to us. It's, it's crazy to me that that's a reality. So here's what we do. We jump in at Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, and we find out what happened with Nehemiah when he had his friends and his brother come and visit him. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, which is November, December, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Here's what they said. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. Why? He explains, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And everyone knew in that time, if you didn't have a wall, you couldn't be what you were supposed to be. You couldn't do what you were supposed to do. And the wall was broken down. And it's interesting as you continue reading in verse four, we discover that Nehemiah, I don't know, he, he was so moved by this. He was so um, affected emotionally by this. Look what he says. When I heard these things, verse four, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now when I read that, I go, this is just a wall. <laughs> Come on, dude, what's wrong? It's just a wall. Why are you weeping and mourning and fasting and praying? What's such, why is it such a big deal. And I mean, you knew that, didn't you? I mean, you knew everything was destroyed. You knew there was a group going to go rebuild the temple. Why is this such a big deal? And Nehemiah, you've got all the money you need, all the comfort you need, all the stuff you need. You've got this great job. Everything's great. You live in a nice house. You've probably got a really big wall around your house. What's the problem? Why are you so moved? Why are you so affected? by this. And what you discover, because Nehemiah, you'll see as the story goes on and he describes, it's kind of like his journal, the book of Nehemiah. As the story goes on, you realize that he went and asked the king if he could leave for 12 years. Now you don't ask kings stuff like this. And not only that, he asked the king, would you fund my trip? Would you pay for this? Would you send trees and logs and, and stuff? Would you send letters to protect me as I go? And he left. And for 12 years went to Israel to go and help build the stupid wall. Why? Why was it such a big deal? Here's the thing. He left all his comfort, all his money, all his everything to go and do this because he knew there was a bigger picture that he was fighting for. There was a bigger picture attached to the walls, the part of the story that he could impact. There was a bigger picture attached to that part of the story. And we find just a glimpse of this bigger picture in the next verse at the beginning of his prayer. I'm not gonna read the whole prayer, but I wanna show you just one sort of statement, one word that points to this bigger 
picture. Nehemiah 1 verse 5. Then I said, this is the prayer that he's praying when he's weeping and fasting and praying. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He keeps his covenant of love. And Nehemiah points to this idea of a covenant of love. And he points to the picture that, that he knew God had promised something to Israel. He knew that God wanted to do something bigger than just a wall and a building and a temple and a city. He wanted to do something huge. He wanted to do love, the covenant of love. I'm gonna explain that word love now. It's a crazy big word. But he wanted to do something big in Israel and through Israel that would impact the world. Nehemiah had no clue what it is. He had no clue that 444 years later, the person who would change the world completely, Jesus, would be born right there in that nation, would live and die in in Jerusalem, he had no idea that would happen, but he knew there was a covenant that God had made that he wanted to impact people's lives. He knew there was a big picture, and he called it this covenant of love. Now, that word love that he uses there is a huge, huge word. In fact, um, when I was in seminary, seminary is like grad school for, for ministry, for church, I had this one professor that I joke that he was the smartest guy I've ever met, and I joke that he wrote the Bible. Okay, now he didn't, but the reason I joke that is because he was actually the, the senior editor for the entire Old Testament for one of the English translations. So he kind of wrote the Bible. <laughs> so he knows a lot about the stuff. And he explains that that word that Nehemiah used there in, when, he, when he said love, covenant of love, is the Hebrew word chesed. H-E-S-E-D, Hebrew word hesed. And he describes that word hesed, saying that it's, um, one, uh, it's arguably, the, this is his words, arguably the single most important term in the Bible used to describe the character of God. This little word, hesed. It's translated by, by these words into English. Mercy, goodness, loving kindness, Kindness, merciful kindness, lasting love, loyal love. He tried to describe it so we could fully understand this word, said, And Nehemiah is saying the covenant of love, said, is this thing. He says the best way we can understand, the, the, the most um, humanly speaking, the most powerful bond or love that you can see is a mother and a baby. And even that doesn't make, a, kind of give the picture because in our broken world, sometimes that is even torn apart. But that's the closest we can see in our world, that, that unconditional giving yourself kind of love. He says, and he talks about this word that he said is, is a love that binds one to another. It's an indestructible bond. In, in, in Greek, there's another word, maybe you've heard this word, agape. It's, it's, agape comes close because of this unconditional love, but he says the Hebrew word is even stronger. And so when Nehemiah talks about that, he is talking about the character of God that loves you. And he knows somehow his job, his investment, his attempt to go rebuild the walls, these walls, the bricks and mortar. Why would he do that? Why is he so moved? Because he knew it was attached to a bigger picture. The love of this unconditional God that loves and is there for people and what he wants to do for people. 
That word's used again when, when the original covenant with Israel was set up in Exodus chapter 34, verse six, it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I think the reason Nehemiah felt so strong about rebuilding those walls that protected Jerusalem wasn't just the walls. It was because he understood the bigger picture. He understood that Jerusalem would one day play a part in God's plan to bless and rescue the world. He didn't know exactly how it would play out, but he knew that one day a Messiah would come and he would build the walls around Jerusalem that would protect the temple and protect the city to reestablish it as a nation and prepare it. It's crazy to think about. Nehemiah's just going, oh, the walls, I can play that part. I need to do that part. And the reason I'm gonna do that is because there's a bigger picture. And one day, he didn't know this, but one day, 444 years later, Jesus would be born and Jesus would be the incarnate Hesed. The incarnate love of God, he would be the grace, the goodness, the mercy, the kindness that would change, literally change the world. He would be the most incredible picture of that covenant of love to the world. That was God's plan. And Nehemiah was so moved because he knew somehow there's a bigger picture that I can be a part of. So I'm gonna do what I can do. He didn't know what it all would look like, but he knew that he could play a part and his heart broke when he realized the part that he could play was not fixed and was not moving forward. Now I tell you all this because remember I said, I think some of what they experienced in that season mirrors a little bit of what we've experienced. We've had our building damaged and we're in a rebuilding season. And right now, people are starting to go, can I come back? I don't know. Can I come back? 70 years later, a bunch of Israelites were living all over the world going, can we go back? Should we do that? Our building wasn't burned with fire, but it was hit by a tornado. And COVID has kept us from being able to be and look like we want to look and operate like we want to operate. And while the building and we, it doesn't look like that yet. And while we want the building to look like we want it to look, and there's still mess in the parking lot, and there's still boards up on the thing, while we so badly want it to look like we want it to look, the reason we want to do that is not because we want a cool building. It's not because we want the building to look nice. And it's not because we want to have great Sunday services. No, there is a much bigger reason and that reason is attached just like for Nehemiah, not just to what we get to do in the city and have a cool service. The reason, it's attached to the same reason for Nehemiah. There is a covenant of love with a God who wants to love and give unconditional love and help and rescue people. And we know that we're playing a small part of that in the city, but we're playing a part. And while Nehemiah looked forward to this incredible Jesus who would show up and change the world, we get to look back and point to that Jesus. You see, we feel just as strong as Nehemiah felt. I gotta go and build the walls. I gotta go and do this. Why? Because he knew he was playing a part in the story that God was writing in the history of the world. And for us, the reason we wanna do this is because we know Rock Point 
is playing a part in the story that God is writing in people, in hearts, in the city. You heard some of them earlier as Amber was talking about it, lives that have been changed. Last week we heard Matt's story about how he discovered Rock Point and has grown in his faith. God is writing a story in people's hearts. And for us, we're going, oh my gosh, this is way bigger than just us. This is way bigger than just a building. This is way bigger than what we're doing. But as things start returning to normal, we are so passionate, not just for a building and get church back to what it was, but we're passionate about the story that God is writing. And we get to be a part of it. It's crazy. But we know he's writing it. We don't know how it looks and everything, but we get to be a part of it. We're attached to that same covenant of love that God is writing. John 3.16 uses the Greek version of hesed, agape, in that verse. And this is what we're fighting for. It says, for God so loved, agape, unconditional love, rescue, pursue, be there, change, help, give hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everything we do as a church <laughs> through this last crazy season of going, how do we do this? I don't know how to do this. This is crazy. As we come back to normal and, and get the building back to where it needs to be and services back and coffee, coffee, back to where it needs to be. You can't do church without coffee. <laughs> But as we get back to all of that, the reason we're doing that is because we want to point to the same Jesus that Nehemiah was able to be a part of the story and point to. Everything we do points to that. Our mission is simple. Our mission is simply this, that we wanna be a safe community where anyone can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with that Jesus because Jesus has changed the world and he's changed our lives and he continues to change our lives and we wanna be a safe community where people can engage that, that hesed, that gracious, kind, good, loyal love of God. That when people engage in that, we believe. And, and, and again, we wanna be safe for anyone, whether that person's been in church their whole life and knows all the scriptures or that person's just showed up for the first time going, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to behave, I don't know what to believe. We wanna be safe enough for anyone to come and discover that grace, discover that goodness, discover what Jesus has done and allow them, when they discover that, develop a deeper, more robust understanding of what God has done and of our own need as people and allow him to deeply impact us. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're fighting for this thing. And so we wanna do everything we can to fulfill that mission. Because while for Nehemiah, Jerusalem was at stake, the temple was at stake, the, the, the future, the Messiah coming and the nation was at stake, and he said, I can play a part I can play a part, I can do something to help there. And he did. For us, you know, we're not going to make or break the city, but there are some stories of people. There are some hearts 
of people whose lives have changed. And I know there are friends of yours, friends of mine, people in the city who need Rock Point to be that safe community so that they can discover, so that they can develop, so that they can deepen a relationship with Jesus. What's at stake for us? There are stories, there are lives, there are God interacting with people that may never meet him. If we don't do this thing that we're doing, and so we wanna give everything we can to be that safe community where anyone can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with Jesus. We wanna fight for that. Now, one of the things we know is that, you know, while we wanna be a safe community where anyone can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with Jesus, we know we can't make anyone discover, develop, or deepen a relationship with Jesus. You can't make someone love Jesus. You can't make someone believe in Jesus. But, so we know we can't do that, so we kind of have chosen to try and do something that we can't actually do. So, so what do you do with that? What we've discovered is that there are actually two things we can do to help make that easier, to help make that more possible, and that is this. We wanna create the right environments, and we wanna provide the right relationships where people can come and feel like they belong feel welcomed, feel like, hey, I know most churches I go to, I feel like I gotta know stuff and be stuff and pray stuff and, and see stuff and dress like this. And I don't know, so many times churches feel like they're built for church people only and if I'm not a church person, what do I do? And then the problem is church people get so churchified that they don't even know what's going on in their hearts sometimes. And we hide behind the churchified stuff. All of us are human. All of us live, all of us have mess, all of us do that. And so we wanna be safe enough for church people to be able to take the church mask off and find authentic faith. And we wanna be safe enough for people who don't even know how to do church, where we can all come together and discover and develop and deepen a relationship with the real Jesus, exemplified in that beautiful Hebrew word, said love, grace, kindness, and, and find that, that he literally changes our lives, our marriages, our, our, our parenting, our relationships, our eternity. That's what we're doing, and we wanna create the right environments for that, and we wanna provide the right relationships in that. That's what we're fighting for. So as we come out of this incredibly weird season where church has just looked like a mess, both physically, and you know, in most other ways, like what are we doing? How do we do this? We don't know, we gotta make a new decision today. Everything changes again. Oh, a tornado hit our building, let's change again. As we're coming out of that weird season and, and somewhat finding some semblance of normalcy, we wanna take time right now in the season to remember why we're doing this. Why, and over the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna focus in on a couple of really important parts that if you're a part of this church, I really want you to hear and join in and be a part of these things so that we, like Nehemiah, can touch the part that we can impact. There's a whole bunch we can't touch. There's a whole bunch we can't do, but there are some things we can do. And Nehemiah said, okay, I'm gonna give up all that I have in my lap of luxury living here working for the king, and I'm gonna go and give myself and my time to something bigger than me, is what he said. And so he goes to Jerusalem. And he gets there and he sees this wall is broken and the emotion that he felt just comes back and he's feeling that going, what do I do? How do I do this? And he evaluates where it's at and then he goes, hey, we're gonna do this thing. And, and, and he goes and um, he, he talks about what happens. Um, 
And he, he says that, that I want us to build this wall. I wanna read the scripture in Nehemiah 2 verse 17. He says this, as he's in Jerusalem looking at everything going, he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. And he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And, and I highlight those, I underline those words, let us, because Nehemiah knew that this wasn't something he could do. It needed to be a group that was gonna do this together and make it work. And then, <laughs> They did, they started working and they rebuilt this wall and it was amazing. And I wanna read to you what I think is, okay, go with me on this. I wanna read to you what I think is one of the most boring passages in the Bible. If you read your Bible, every now and then you bump into these boring passages and you're like, why do I need to know this? How is this helpful? And I'm gonna read it to you. And the reason I'm gonna read it to you is because, and once you're sufficiently bored, I'm going to then do my best to tell you why I think this incredibly boring passage of Scripture may be one of the most inspiring passages of Scripture. Nehemiah chapter three, you ready? I'm not gonna put it on the screen because I think that helps with the boring, I'm just kidding. But here we go, Nehemiah chapter three, here we go. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Emery, built next to them. You're like, okay, cool. Thanks for telling me. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel. I don't know how to say that, but let's go with that. Made repairs. And the next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. And you're like, just tell me you built the wall. That's all I need to know. Why do you have to have a whole chapter on all this stuff? I don't know these people. And I don't really care that this dude put this beam on this place. But I'm going to keep going. You ready? Um, next, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. The Jashana Gate was repaired. Why do they have a Jashana Gate? The Jashana Gate was repaired by Jehoiada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Basodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with the bolts and the bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men of Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatia and Gibeon and Jadon and Merimanoth, places under the authority of the governor of the Trans-Euphrates. You bored yet? A little bit more. Azael, son of Harariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, he was a perfume maker, why do I need to know that? Uh, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now when we bump into portions of scripture like this, it's like, why? Why do I need to know? I don't even know how to pronounce the name. I'm never gonna meet the guy. What's the point? And he never mentioned again in the rest of scripture, so what's the point? It's a boring scripture. But let me ask you something. What if one of those names was your name? Wouldn't that be the most awesome passage of scripture in the Bible you've ever read? There it is, there's my name. Wouldn't that be awesome? I see it. I was a part of that. And you look back and you go, oh my gosh, wait, wait, kids, kids, I'm gonna read it again. <laughs> because I was a part of that. Wouldn't this, it's so boring for us because we don't know them, but for them, 
those weird names. <laughs> it was incredible. They loved this. So what I'm gonna do now is I wanna do something really dangerous from a stage. But I wanna rewrite that scripture a little bit for us in this time right now. And the reason it's dangerous is because I wanna read a scripture about, like if there was scripture about this church. And I'm gonna put some names in here and the reason it's dangerous is because me putting some names in here is gonna make me miss some names and so if I miss your name, I'm really sorry. But that's in chapter two um, and we'll read that another time if I miss it. I don't have time to read all of it so please forgive me if you're in chapter two and I'm reading chapter one. But I wanna read this again and tell you why this can be one of the most inspiring passages of scripture in the world. Nehemiah chapter three, what if it said something like this? Then a church in Chattanooga did everything they could to be a safe community where anyone could come and discover who Jesus really is, develop a strong understanding of him and allow him to deeply impact them. People worked hard to create that community and it impacted many. Guests were welcomed by Amy and Rick and Garrett and Sherry and Kent and the rest of the team. Kids and students were impacted by Alex and Christy, Jordan and Serena, Rebecca and Deanne, and Karen and Wade, Kelly, Crystal, Brian, Heather, Amy and Powell, Ted, Mandy, Jeff and Jacob and Tiffany were just a few names. Zach and Emily, Jennifer and Lindsay, Jeremiah, Ryan and Hannah, Summer and Andy, Nick and Meredith. These were just a few who gave themselves to making the experience of families amazing and kids came running on Sundays. Along with them, Doug and June, Jeff and Lindsay, Joel, Brian and Terry, Jay and Anita and April and others helped create communities for groups of people. Brad and Daryl, Roy, Derek, Joel and Marty, Jen and Chandler and helped create and present services to people who weren't even in the building because they had cameras. And people discovered a growing relationship with Jesus. Jane and Scott, Amy, Robin, Taylor and Mark and many others helped love their city by serving those in greatest need. And Chattanooga, this is verse six, and Chattanooga was different because they had built and after a horrible year of difficulty, they rebuilt a safe community where anyone could discover, develop and deepen a relationship with Jesus. If your name is on a list like that and you were part of building something that changed a life or changed lives or, or changed the perspective of Jesus in someone, wouldn't that be an inspiring scripture? <laughs> right? And so today I just wanna say thank you. I wanna read an email that someone sent to me last week um, this, is, this is crazy because people are just starting to come back. And if, if you are a part, and I'm sorry if I missed your name, Gain chapter two, but if you're a part of creating these environments and providing these relationships, you are a part of these stories. Here's an email that I got just this last week. And it's from a family who hadn't been in our building for a year. This is what they said. I wanted to tell you, and perhaps you'll pass it along, about our experience coming back to in-person church last Sunday for the first time since COVID-19. As we checked our kids in, brought them upstairs and got them in their class, there were countless staff whose interactions were very meaningful. They all remembered our kids and us. They were blown away by how much they'd grown and changed. They were so excited that our kids were back. 
There was a bittersweet reminder of how long it has been, but such a powerful, we are known and loved and family moment and experience. I was already welling up with tears as I walked down the stairs to the adult service. Then, as Mel and the band led music, I really couldn't sing along with any of the songs because the same experience continued. I was emotionally and spiritually overwhelmed by the reconnection to relational corporate worship of God. Emotion welled up in my chest and throat with tears off and on as well throughout the worship and music. It was good to be back and feeling connected. Though some grieving of what was lost over the past year was certainly in the experience as well. The sermon truly lived out the church's mission, a balance of bringing meaningful foundation to seekers and bringing depth to committed Christians through reminders and a novel perspective on well-known concepts and scriptures. If you're a part of building this wall, building this safe community, you're doing that for families who walk in here every single Sunday. You're doing that for communities outside of this building where they need foster kids aging out, need help, homeless people need help. You are building a safe community in this area where anyone can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with Jesus. And today, I wanna remind us of what we're doing. And I wanna say thank you to those of you who do this, who are building this even if you're a perfume maker and you're building this on Sundays. Thank you, thank you. And if you have been engaged in the past and through COVID you've disconnected somewhat, I wanna let you know people are coming back. We've got your spot waiting and when you're ready, re-engage, come help us build this wall. And if you're new and you're going, oh, it was the first time, <laughs> you wanna be a part of it? We've got a way for you to get engaged as well. We have a spot, because guys, we're not just building a service, we're not just having church in a building, we're not just doing stuff, we are pointing to this God who created a covenant of love that can change lives, change eternities, change families, and it's happening, and you are a part of that. So thank you. And let's be a safe community where anyone can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Before I close, you know, I've said if you wanna get involved, you can get involved. If I don't tell you how, that'll be a little silly. So if you wanna get involved and be a part of this and get your name attached to the story of Rock Point, the story of what Jesus is doing here, then you can speak to someone at the guest services table or you can go to this website, uh, rockpointcc.org serve and connect. But today, the goal is just simply, hey, let's remember why. <laughs> why we're doing this. It's way bigger than us. It's way bigger than this building. It's way bigger than the service. It's way bigger than all of it. So, just wanted to remind you and thank you for being a part of this. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that <laughs> it's crazy that we're attached to a story that happened in 444 BC. That Nehemiah built a wall then to protect Jerusalem so that Jesus could do what he came to do. And we're building a wall, we're building a community, a safe community where anyone can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with you. Thank you that we're attached to the story. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. And Father, I pray that as we move forward, you will help each of us do our part to build this wall, to build this community so that we can 
continue to point to a Jesus who literally changes our lives and the lives of those who are a part of this. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.